Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. Yo, yo, yo. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, it's almost still foreign. No. It's been a little while. No. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Speak the Truth. We are going to continue the series of counseling through Bible narratives in the Old Testament. I hope that you've already listened to our first podcast uh, for Freedom for Forgiveness with Andrew walking through Genesis 50. And today we have another guest that has contributed to the book. And so if you don't have the book yet, go to ChristianCounseling.com, get it. It's so incredible. There's even a note section that you can literally have out right now and follow along as we talk about the scripture. But today we're going to be in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2, actually a little typo in the first run of books that we had. I put Jeremiah 3 on accident. It was totally Shauna's fault. So it's me, me, me. I messed up. So if you have an old copy, just um, scratch that Jeremiah 3 out and put Jeremiah 2. But in all the new copies, it will be correct. And so thank you for uh, Jesse and for giving me in that little typo there. But hey, Jesse Perkle, right. thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, so glad to be with you guys. Love ABC. Love to speak the truth. Happy to be here. Yeah. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about you and Southern Hills and just everything that you're doing out there in Georgia? Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, a little bit west of Atlanta uh, in a smaller town called Carrollton. And I serve at Southern Hills as the soul care pastor. So I started uh, as an intern, interned for two years, 2016 to 18, then moved to part-time from 2018 to 2020, and then went full-time kind of right in the midst of the pandemic there in 2020. Um, and so I've served here uh, mainly only in counseling, kind of helped as an intern get, get the ministry started. Uh, we started partnering with you guys probably in, I think, 2017 um, and have since uh, come a long way in that. We've seen tons of fruit in our church and even in our community uh, through biblical counseling. And so uh, we just, we love it. It's the heartbeat of our church. Uh, we've also seen, you know, seen it impact so many families in our church, uh, even my own. Um, you know, my wife and I and our two little girls, uh, just everything that biblical counseling brings into that local church context. We just, uh, we love it and we could never, we could never go back to not doing it. That's so good. And thank you guys. You, your church actually did a video, a testimony video for us that we showed at this last conference and got really good feedback from. And you can actually see that on our website at christiancounseling.com. We've posted it there just to hear a little bit more from just even your teaching pastor and Heath that also have, has taught and helped lead out in the biblical counseling there. Um, and just to hear about more, just your community center, tell them how your church is designed. Cause it's like a, it's a community center, right? Where people can come all throughout the week, like open. Yeah, up that's to the right. And right? so our, yes, that's exactly right. And so our church, um, I guess it, we, we officially moved in here in 2018. We had really our pastor, uh, Shannon, he, he had this vision of what would it look like if our church were, um, able to gather, uh, more than, you know, once or twice a week and have opportunities for other people in our community, you know, believers and unbelievers to, uh, to, to be here and to interact with them. Uh, and so we, we, uh, you know, generosity of our church and, um, we built a community center. It's called City Station. And so here we have, um, a, a state certified Christian preschool. We have, um, Student housing. We've got 60 uh, beds of college students who live in the building. We have a restaurant. We have a fitness center. 
our uh, auditorium that we would use on Sunday morning for uh, for worship uh, doubles during the week as a open gym for basketball and pickleball and things like that. We have uh, our counseling rooms also double as kind of regular meeting rooms that people in the community can rent. We have a few other big conference rooms that uh, a lot of the big businesses in town rent them uh, pretty much weekly. Uh, we have all kinds of people in and out of our building that we just get to uh, interact with, share the gospel with, counsel, um, and just we have all those opportunities. And so it's a, it's almost like we're a, you know, we're a kind of a mobile church where we have to set up and tear down all the time. Um, but thankful for all of our our church member members who are, you know, willing to do that week in and week out. We couldn't do really any of this without our our church members. It's so cool. Like here in Texas, you know, they'll start up churches. will rent school like spaces from schools and stuff and do the tear down and set up and everything to where it's like, um, you know, their church is only on kind of that Sunday and you've done the opposite. You're like, no, this is what our church is for the community. This is what we want our building to look like from a community standpoint. And then we set up for worship on Sunday. I think that is incredible. What a great way to be on mission for your city and just build community, you know, and relationships outside of just worship on a Sunday service. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And thank you that, or that's pretty incredible that you have those leaders that will set up and tear down (laughs) and they're still hanging in there, huh? (laughs) Hopefully you have a good rotation schedule there because that's obviously a lot of hard work. So that's cool. Um, And you guys are also, you with Alicia are training leaders for the equipped to counsel material. Thank you for leading out on that where you're able to not only use ETC for uh, enrichment for your church, but also help people become certified in biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. We, we love it. You know, equipped to counsel. Uh, and the level one has just been uh, huge. You know, we, we tell our church all the time, even if, and of course we want them to, to counsel, we're all counselors, we know that, but um, whether that's formal or informal, but we just think it, it'd be beneficial for every one of our church members. We think it's that good, um, gives such a good foundation for what, you know, one another ministry ought to look like. So we're, we're, we really appreciate John Henderson and Equip the Council and ABC and all that you guys do. Yeah, thank you. That's we, we appreciate you too. Well, I guess people are probably ready for us to jump into Jeremiah. And so Michael and I, we actually, as um, just in our marriage, we have decided to do what we call Word Feast. And so throughout the week, we have one uh, night for two hours that we have scheduled where we just read scripture together. And so we take turns reading uh, the chapters and just get like a huge dose of God's word. And so sometimes schedules, we end up having to be flexible with it. But for the most part, it's like a committed time uh, that we're able to come together. And right now we're actually reading Jeremiah and we, it's taken us forever. It feels like to get through. Like we're on chapter like 44 or something like that. Yeah. And so, man, there's just obviously so much that's happening in this and you, you know, obviously can't get through the whole book with your counselees, but I love how Jeremiah obviously gives us these uh, sections of scripture that can just be what, you know, two, four or five verses, but make such a great impact um, in our lives and in our hearts. And just obviously knowing who he is and, um, and, and what's, what God is doing through his life and how he's working, um, you know, and, and so anyway, so could you just kind of maybe set the tone for us and just let us know kind of why you chose this scripture and, and then we can kind of walk through how you use it in a counseling session and then what we could maybe do for as, after session assignment. Yeah, absolutely. And so this, the imagery that, that Jeremiah uses here, I just think is really, uh, 
powerful here in Jeremiah 2, and I mean, he uses imagery throughout uh, this book, but particularly here, I think it's been helpful for me personally. I think one of the first times I really wrestled with this, I was, I can't remember if I was a college student or if I'd graduated at that point, but was at a conference and John Piper, it was one of the, um, one of the texts that he preached on was here in Jeremiah 2, and it just, just kind of came to life for me, helped me see some of my own um, idolatry, some of my own, you know, ways that I had forsaken the Lord. And so it, it was a powerful imagery for me. I think Im- imagery is helpful in counseling because it gives men and women something to remember throughout their day-to-day life, that they can kind of see that that picture and the one we'll look at here. And I think also, you know, just from a counseling standpoint, I think there are seasons for the counselor that can be, uh, where counseling can be difficult for any number of reasons. And I think, you know, as we, you guys are reading Jeremiah right now, as you read Jeremiah, it's, it's really evident that Jeremiah is not in a very um, favorable season mm-hmm. in his uh, ministry. He is, if I remember right, I think he only has two converts uh, in his ministry. And so it's, it's not a, he's not seeing a ton of fruit and, you know, I referenced there in the book that he's, he's known as the weeping prophet. Um, he, you could also just call him an, an enduring prophet because he, um, he, he stays faithful to the Lord and, and keeps calling the people back to, to faithfulness to the Lord as well. And so, um, there's a lot going on, like you said, in Jeremiah, but, uh, essentially I would say he, he's pleading with, with Judah to, to repent, to return to the Lord, uh, to, to, stop chasing idols. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from Jeremiah 2, let me go ahead and read uh, these verses here. And, uh, and, Jeremiah 2. And just really quick, like when, as he's like calling them uh, to repentance and saying judgment of, of the Lord, it's not like this little piffy statement here. He is saying, the Lord said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's saying he will right. destroy you, right? He will wipe you out. And the people, I mean, you're just like seeing what he's telling the people and how the people just end up, I mean, rejecting it, right? I mean, Michael, how would you kind of summarize mm-hmm. that from what we've been reading over the last few weeks? Yeah, well, outside of what Jesse's clearly going to address in, in this, but uh, yeah, I think even, Shauna, and you mentioned us going through and reading through Jeremiah, it's um, it's unmistakable to see the reality of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And when a people uh, continue to uh, pursue a message that is self-serving, uh, and their idols, and to be called to speak against that. And just like you mentioned, uh, his conversion rate was not very successful. <laughs> but but um, he was successful in that, like you pointed out, he was faithful to the Lord. And, uh, man, it is it is difficult because in counseling, um, oftentimes we have to reorient people's thinking, um, their idolatrous thinking, to a level that is trying to get them consistent with understanding what God's Word says and drawing them back uh, to Him, which is obviously what you're getting into with the reality of these broken cisterns. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, it's just it's it's not only what we're seeing from you know Judah's standpoint, but just even the life of Jeremiah and his faithfulness and just him having to continue to go to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine just serving the Lord in this particular way and being called to this? You're, you know, so there might be some weary counselors and pastors out there that might be listening to this specific podcast. I just want to encourage you, like, let, you know, as you read Jeremiah, even more so than what Jesse's going to walk us through in this, in, in Jeremiah 2, 
is just realizing just how, you know, God's steadfast love, right? Um, and his, is just mm-hmm. his faithful, Jer- Jeremiah's faithfulness in the Lord. And then obviously the Lord's faithfulness to Jeremiah. Um, and so I feel like there's got to be a way that, you know, how you kind of set this up, but just letting them know about this, right? The Lord sent reminders of his goodness and he longed for the faithfulness of Judah and Judah continued to not repent as Jeremiah uh, was communicating clearly what the Lord was saying. And then we go into, well, why is that? Because of their idols. And then now we're going to let them sit in, in Jeremiah too. And so I'm so thankful that you wrote on this passage because I think it's such an important one. Um, all right. And then now you said you were going to go ahead and read it. So <laughs> what version of scripture are you, yeah. are you using? Are you doing ESV or? I'm ESV. Okay. Yep. Yep. Ma'am. English okay. Standard Version. Okay. All right. So here is Jeremiah 2 verses 11 through 13. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so you've got kind of right at the beginning here, um, you, you've got these these questions that, you know, that the Lord is asking that, uh, does a nation ever change its gods for, for something that, that aren't gods? And you can, I'll address a couple of times, kind of the folly that I think the Lord is addressing here. And he, and he says, you know, my people have changed their glory for that which doesn't profit. So this is not an equal exchange, right? The exchanging of the Lord for an idol um, is to go from everything to nothing um, because these these idols can't profit. And he calls upon, this is similar, I think, in Isaiah, um, but Jeremiah, the Lord here, calls upon the heavens as a witness almost. You could like just kind of think about it as courtroom imagery here and, uh, he, he calls the heavens as a witness, be appalled, be shocked, be utterly desolate. And so that's really serious. Like you guys were saying, this is, this is a really serious, uh, thing going on, this, this idolatry. And so what I like to do with, with counselees is, uh, well, one, first of all, before I would do this assignment, I, there's a lot we've already done with them, right? I would have, I would have already gotten to know them pretty well on another story like Mike Imlet's um, uh, categories of uh, sufferer, sinner, saint, uh, kind of get to know them. I want to sh- make sure they know the gospel where, you know, where are they at faith wise or they, do they trust Christ? A lot of that has already happened. Also the, the kind of some biblical teaching on the heart, you know, all that has probably already happened uh, because uh, before, before I really want to unpack idolatry, I want to, I just want to teach on the heart, um, and how that, how idolatry really comes through the heart. There's, there's really no other way for it to come through. And so in, in biblical counseling, um, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not just cleaning up corpses. You know what I mean? We, we are people who care about the heart of the counselee, not just behavior modification. And so I would have already, you know, in a couple of sessions, uh, would have probably already covered all that before I get here, but then when we get here, um, also want to probably help them understand what idolatry is. Um, and I usually just make it as simple as I can. Um, it's worshiping something other than the one true God. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we're all created as worshipers. That's, that's kind of what our heart does. Uh, we, we were, regardless of what anyone says they believe out there in the world, we're worshipers. God made us that way. Whether it's, whether it's him, the true God, or whether it's an idol. And so uh, I have that question there in the book. Uh, the question is never, do we worship, but what or whom do we worship? And, uh, and then moving in here, Jeremiah gives this, uh, this imagery, uh, that I mentioned to kind of these two different sources of water. And, uh, sometimes I'll do this in counseling there. I think I get this from the, the ESV study Bible, which those can be so helpful, by the way, uh, if you're a counselor listening to this, um, there, there are three different ways kind of in this region uh, that the people could have gotten water. So they, they could have gotten water from a, a, a stream or a spring. That's usually what they'll call living water. That's the best way to get it. Uh, there's groundwater. It'll be collected in a well. Uh, and then there's runoff water that can be collected into a cistern. So it'll kind of dig some pits kind of in the limestone, uh, plaster it so that it doesn't, uh, you know, seep out. But, uh, but those can also collect some some nasty, dirty things in them as well, and it's really kind of the worst way um, to to get water. And the imagery that that Jeremiah uses here is that these waters aren't they're not just regular old cisterns; they're broken ones. And so the broken cistern it can't even hold water. I mean, you can if you could picture it, it's muddy and dirty, full of sludge probably has some some bugs, mosquito larvae in it, uh, things like that. It, it can't hold water. And so that's what's happened in this exchange. They've exchanged the fountain of living water, this good, fresh, flowing water. And instead, they've, they've dug out for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold any water at all. And so for Jeremiah... Um, he's, he's symbolizing their idolatry, the, you know, the Baal worship, uh, with this, with this imagery. You know, Judah has turned to broken cisterns and it's really, it's really serious. It's also really tragic. I mean, uh, the, the folly of this. I mean, which one of us in our right mind would turn from a wonderful, uh, healthy source of water into one full of sludge and filth that really what you're getting is not even water anyway. Um, it, but that's, that's the picture here. Uh, when we exchange the Lord for anything else, really, uh, it's, it's like turning from a living water to a broken cistern. Um, and that's usually, you know, that imagery can be really helpful uh, with counselees and um, especially once we uh, relate it to other things uh, in their lives, right? They probably are not, uh, bowing down to Baal statues or things like that. Um, but there's, there's a lot of other ways in our day, uh, that we do, uh, turn to broken cisterns. And so I like to go, uh, kind of in the book here, what my idols look like today. I like to go to Colossians three, uh, verse five. So kind of jumping into the new Testament to, to kind of help us with, uh, some definitions here. But, uh, so Paul in Colossians three, verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so you've got these inward 
desires, especially I think covetousness there, this desire for more, maybe uh, materialism, whatever we want to call it, um, that the New Testament would, would call idolatry. It, it signifies in the heart this exchange where we're no longer seeking after God, God's word, uh, Christ, uh, but we just want all these other things. So maybe that's sexual morality, maybe that's evil desire, maybe that's covetousness. Um, something that just as a helpful question, and I like to, you know, in our training, uh, equip the council training, this is something when we, when we go over this kind of stuff that I, I put before our counselors as a way that, uh, a real practical question, I think, of how can I know if, if something in my life has kind of crossed over into idolatry, this, this over desire, maybe if I'm desiring this thing more than the Lord, um, is a question I like to ask is, can I, in, in kind of a, a good faith or with a clean conscience, could I thank God for whatever this thing is? Mm. Whether that's this, desi- this sexual desire, right? If we're talking about pornography, can I, can I, in good conscience, can I thank God for this? Of course, the answer to that example is no, you can't. Um, but that, I think that question can help us see, man, even things that we would call good can cross over into, uh, can cross over into idolatry. And so there's this exchanging in the heart. Uh, anytime we put our desires on a pedestal and we think we're going to go our way rather than God's way, um, we're, we're turning to a broken cistern. Uh, and that might have a thousand different, uh, forms that it might take and that's why it's important i think to really know the counselee who you're sitting with um because you're gonna you know a few sessions in you may begin to see some of this in their life um and i bet if you know because in biblical counseling usually you have a willing counselee um i bet one of the reasons they've come to counseling even if they can't articulate it is that they they're getting tired of muddy water uh, they they know that these things to which they've been turning aren't actually able to help them. Uh, and so a lot of times I think, you know, they, they're somewhat aware of that um, when they sign up for, for biblical counseling. That, that They've tried other things. They've tried to change on their own. Uh, they've even maybe tried to deal with their suffering uh, through some of these means. Uh, and they found like it's not, not working it's not good it's not it's not healthy uh, so that that's kind of how I would walk through what what might it look like today and again you could give a dozen or so examples there uh, one recently uh, I was working um, with a counselee through uh, it's been a few months ago but uh, we were talking through this you know Jeremiah 2 and uh, broken cisterns and we were walking through uh, some forms of kind of sexual immorality. That's one of the ones mentioned there in, uh, in Colossians 3. And one of the things that, that he really brought up, uh, my counselee, was how one of the difficult things for him in forsaking the idolatry, forsaking uh, sexual morality in that case, was just the way that it's celebrated, um, the way that, you know, for him it was, it was a friend group and even just, kind of the culture of the internet, um, they kind of celebrated some of these things, um, encouraged some of these things in his life. And we, we really interacted with, okay, what does it look like in the midst of a culture that celebrates it to, to be 
an exile, uh, to be someone who is not um, gathering around these broken sisters and celebrating them. And I think that, again, I've, I've, you know, I've mentioned the folly here, but I think one of the many follies of idolatry is culturally and even you know, sometimes, unfortunately, Christians can kind of gather around these broken cisterns and, and celebrate them. Yeah. Um, you could think obviously about, you know, any number of cultural issues here mm-hmm. in which people kind of gather around and celebrate them. Uh, and it's, I mean, just read the book of Proverbs, right? I mean, so many things come to mind, but uh, just the folly of gathering around and celebrating water that can't do anything good for you. Yeah. that's, so um, good. that's... It, It'll make you sick. Yeah, that's so good. And I just, I love this because I think this is such a practical scripture and discussion and what a fruitful one it can become and just really giving men and women the clarity and even us, right? We need, we need to take this scripture to heart and line it up with what's going on in our own heart. But in just three short scripture verses, right? We're always kind of thinking, oh, we only have Mm -hmm. an hour with our counselee. And with three scriptures, you not only give them the visual and explain it from living water to muddy water, but then you're able to practically say, okay, we have two sins here being committed. One, you're forsaking God. And the second is you're going somewhere else for that source of fulfillment. So let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, how have you forsaken God and where are you going? Right. Where is that Mm -hmm. object? And where is that desire that you're that you're wanting that you're trying to find within the world? And and then and and how easy that is for all of us to own, because like what you just said, in a lot of ways, these things are celebrated, accepted. Almost if you don't do it, you could be like you said, in exile, which I think is such good clarity and what a great conversation to to be in. And then you're sticking in scripture. You're just saying, I'm not making this word idolatry up. We're going to Colossians 3, where God has given us clarity of really what is idolatry and what does this look like. And so there's just so much fruit here from a biblical standpoint where you can stay right in God's text and then immediately apply it to their life and their heart. And so I just think this is one of those texts that every biblical counselor, every pastor, every ministry leader needs to know, to understand, to grasp in a way that this is a part of every, like any person that you counsel, this should be one passage that's always used, no matter what they're going through. It should be always used at some point in the session for them to learn that long after they're gone from counseling with you, they understand it in a way that it's like constantly being applied, like, right, their heart is constantly being evaluated, mm-hmm. that they're helping speak this into the lives of other people, because it's vital that us as believers understanding where we may have not even realizing it, but gotten off the path and we're drinking muddy water and not the living water. And right. I mean, what would you say to that, Michael? No, I, I, I think that's that's all relevant and good. And I think it kind of goes back to something that uh, that Jesse said in the beginning about just, you know, the things that he would have already established in the onset of the counseling with the counselor, excuse me, with the counselee, where, all right, just stage-wise, okay, suffer, sinner, saint, um, because th- this is, has to do with the identity in Christ, right? That's where, that's where we're getting into an issue of— um, especially with the uh, state of evangelicalism today, mm-hmm. where they haven't really understood idolatry. 
they probably haven't really heard it. And much to what Jesse's saying about the cultural reality of everything and how that's, you know, really kind of subsequently or consequently rather seeped into the church, that a lot of our counselees that are coming to us have never pr- probably understood a theology of idolatry. Or or they just go to the mm-hmm. object. Oh, I'm going to TV right. or I'm going to the person, and they're not going back to the desire. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying in that uh, the idea of understanding, you know, do they, do they are they, because like what Jesse was saying is typically they're coming in as the sufferer. Yeah. And not really realizing the reality and extent of sin that still exists, which would go to those things that you're talking about, like what objects are they continuing to run to, which demonstrates that they're still lacking a deep understanding of the gospel Um, and then getting them to that point. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. But like, so like the example that Jesse, you use the adultery, right? Okay. That's kind of the object. I'm going to another person, but what is their desire? Are they seeking Mm -hmm. comfort? Are they seeking approval, affection, right? right? Acceptance. Like what is it that they have forsaken God for that they're now running to this? And so I think that, this mm-hmm. scripture allows really, you know, this might not be necessarily taught, you know, in some of the Sunday sermons and it might not be talked in a in an in-depth way in our community groups. And so I just think this is such a, a vital area that as biblical counselors, we really need to understand and get in a way that we're able to really go deep and like, you know, get into the heart. Right. Of it. And that, that's that's what I'm saying, though, is in, in the context of what's happening here, which Jesse's, you know, obviously talked about and, and puts in the in the introduction of this particular um, homework assignment, if you will, um, is that these are God's people in the sense, you know, like yeah. nationally speaking, they're God's people. But as God's people, they're not they've forsaken him. And and I think oftentimes as Christians, and yet he's still pursuing them, <laughs> right? And it, you know, and so and and I think that's oh, I think that's maybe where we do a disservice, you know, under the new covenant is that somehow we become spiritually uh, <laughs> forgettable about the reality of even as Christians we still struggle with sin and we can functionally speaking mm-hmm. uh, worship and serve creation as opposed mm-hmm. to the Creator. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. this is uh, just a good foundational mm-hmm. point. Uh, for the believer to realize, uh, hey, uh, just because you're in Christ doesn't mean that you don't have a propensity to struggle in this. Yeah. And so bringing yeah. it back. So yeah. yeah, and we can so easily get off track too, right? Or not believe, you know, like how Jeremiah is literally telling them <laughs> verbatim what God is saying, and yet they still didn't get it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so just that having that fear of the Lord of realizing that like I never I don't want to get that far gone and just little bitty things can take me to a really bad place. And so us really owning as believers and talking through those desires first and foremost will be so impactful of how are we going to living water for these specific desires, right? For where our heart is so we don't get to that point of another object outside of God, right? It's it's focusing on those Two sins, and that's why I love, Jesse, that you selected this passage, because I do think it is one of the most essential passages that we can know and understand as a biblical counselor, which then brings to the next question, Jesse, could you kind of share with us what you think is the result of unrepentant idolatry? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as you guys were chatting there, another another passage uh, that came to my mind was, well, multiple ones, but in Hebrews, you know, you think about Christians even having, like you guys said, the, the, the forgetfulness, the, uh, the just that sometimes our desires run rampant and we, we intentionally walk away from the Lord. Other times I think we, we drift. Yeah. Uh, it's this slow kind of, and so Hebrews two, you know, you've got in Hebrews one, just this whole, so 
supremacy of Christ really all over Hebrews, but and chapter 2 starts, you know, therefore we must pay the most careful attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, this is this is relevant, Old and New Testament, as far as this, um, this propensity to just kind of wander away uh, from the Lord. And it's, uh, yeah, I think as counselors, we want to be uh, super aware of that, so we can help our, our counselees in their suffering, and then as they deal with their sin before the Lord to to remember him, to look to him, to pay attention to this message. And the result of unrepentant idolatry is not a very popular topic, right. um, I would say, but I think it's one that, uh, you know, maybe maybe in Christianity culturally here, I can only speak to my, my context really, but um, there, there's been maybe a departure from some of this, maybe for a number of reasons. Maybe it's a reacting to previous generations who talked, uh, I'm not saying they did, but uh, something I've heard, maybe they talked too much about this. Uh, maybe they're just, you know, people won't come back to us if we talk about about this, but but it's in the Bible, and it, it's really for our good. <laughs> but it's in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's that. <laughs> yeah, and so we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's pretty clear. I mean, right here in, in Colossians, uh, and Jeremiah, I mean, what we see is the result of unrepentant idolatry is, is judgment um, and the wrath of God. Uh, you know, for Jeremiah, you guys mentioned uh, he's pleading again and again um, and, and warning them of what will happen if they don't return to the Lord and, and repent, forsake their idols. Ultimately, you know, they, they end up in Babylon. Uh, they, they're, they're taken captive. And then in Colossians 3, um, the verse after the one we already read, uh, verse six says, "On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." That's pretty serious. Um, I don't know that there's a, you know, th- there probably are some equal motivations here, but this is a pretty strong motivation for putting these things to death that Paul has just mentioned, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so that may be kind of that, you know, hell, obviously, and, in, you know, at the end of all things, when um, when God judges the earth, hell, you can think about it from that standpoint. Uh, I think another way biblically to think about it is uh, kind of think through Romans 1, 18 through 32, and um, the wrath of God that, that is presently being revealed and giving people over to their idols, essentially. Um, that that's one of the ways, biblically, that we see the wrath of God being revealed, is that he gives us over to our sin. He gives us over to the consequences of it. And I even think, you know, another connection there, we've talked about the, the folly, the foolishness here of this exchange. And in Romans 1, I think it's by the time you get to that third uh, God gave them over kind of the third time you see that there. Um, he gives them over to a debased mind to do things which ought not to be done. And that, that's a really another strong imagery there that Paul uses in Romans. It's this mind that, that's really kind of useless. It can't do what it's intended to do. Yeah. Um, and so that's another way we see, I think, the wrath of God, the judgment of God on unrepentant idolatry is he'll, he'll give us over to it. Um, which I don't think any of us 
uh, would say we want that. Uh, and then uh, another practical thing for the counselee, all that's practical, of course, uh, but another thing would be, I mentioned this in the book, a life of constant thirst. We're just going to be constantly desiring and then being dissatisfied, desiring and being dissatisfied. We're going to turn to all kinds of things that we think will satisfy us. Uh, and a lot of times our sin will get worse and worse and worse. Uh, it'll kind of escalate. Um, we'll end up doing things that we never thought we would have done um, because we're looking for, for a satisfaction that we cannot find in the world. Uh, it doesn't exist. You know, I think it was Augustine who said, um, our souls are restless until they find rest in you. Yep. Speaking of God. And I mean, that's so just, true experientially yeah, for me personally I you know I know the podcast ended about my life but I could give a dozen examples of of how you know really before I came to Christ it was just a life of unsatisfaction it was a life of chasing things that couldn't satisfy and I think that you know when you think about idolatry when you think about whether we're talking about Jeremiah or we're talking about us um I think sometimes we, we tend to think, well, we turn to those things when we're suffering only. But I think as counselors, we've got to be aware that sometimes it's in our successes that we turn to idolatry. It, it could be a kind of pride that, that says, you know what, let me go dig my own cistern. I, I kind of don't think I need to go to the Lord anymore for water. Mm. Let me go and, and, and make it myself. Um, I think there are all kinds of ways that we can find ourselves here, whether in suffering and we turn just kind of grasping or in our successes, you know, Israel, Israel never really did awesome with blessing, not for long. Yeah. Um, they would walk with the Lord for, for a little bit and then they would turn to, to idols. And so I think the result is under, to underpin an idolatry is judgment, it's the wrath of God. And then it's this life of constant thirsting. Um, and what, but one of the things I like to do in counseling, of course, is, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to end the session there, so to speak. That's just kind of, that's, that's just kind of my, um, how I, I don't like to end in Colossians 3 verse 6 because, because Paul doesn't. Uh, and so, you know, kind of the hope of verse 7, um, in these two you once walked. I think that, I think that, you know, as biblical counselors, we, we are men and women who believe in the gospel and not just for some future salvation, but also for change in the here and now, like new hearts, right? We're new creatures. We can have new desires. We can have new ways to walk. We do have all that in Christ. You know, Paul's kind of already addressed that here in Colossians, but um, I think it, I think you can be really hopeful for the counselee to see but hey, maybe you've been walking this way. Maybe the text, maybe Jeremiah, and maybe even earlier what we've read in Colossians. Maybe that's bringing to light some of the ways that you've been walking. But I think one of the hopeful things here in verse seven is that you don't. Not only do you, you don't have to walk in that way, um, and that I can acknowledge as a counselor is that hey, you're not that different than where I was before I was walking in the light. Um, and so we, we can share the fact that we're sinners, not as a way to just kind of stay there and be okay and content with that, 
But it's a, hey, there's actually hope that you don't have to be who you've always been. You don't have to go to these things that you've always gone to. You don't have to keep find, you know, searching for, for things that are going to not satisfy you. You know, another verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where Paul kind of says the same thing, but gives this whole list of, uh, of people uh, who won't inherit the kingdom of God if they continue in that sin. And then he says, but such were some of you. And just that, I think that encouragement, that reminder, not only to not live that way, because it's not, um, it's not in accord with what we learn in Christ, but also hope for the person who's maybe wrestling with the question of, but can I really change? Can I really be different? Can, can I really want God? Can I really walk with God? And I think yes. And so even in the midst of talking about, you know, wrath and judgment, I think we can give the hope of the gospel. Uh, you know, it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so, you know, always wanting to remind them of that, um, to give them hope in the midst of, uh, like God's given us a solution to idolatry. Let's, and if there's only one, uh, you know, repent and believe. So let's, let's take his way. Cause it's really, it's really the only way, uh, return to the fountain of living water, if you will. And so that's kind of how I would walk through, the results of unrepentant idolatry while also trying to get some hope there uh, to the counselee. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah, because, I mean, there's obviously areas here that can be very sensitive, and you're like, oh, gosh, is this going to be one of those sessions where they come back and see me next week, right? But I think, you know, if you mm-hmm. if you follow through Jeremiah, and we're not asking them to read all the chapters, but, like, even just a few chapters over where there actually is a call to repentance. And, you know, this is what it said. Mm-hmm. It says, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger. For I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God, calling for repentance there, and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, for I am your master. I will take you from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, right? He's, he's, he's communicating here. Like I am here. I am calling you to me, right? I'm calling you to repentance of not obeying and, and saying, I will protect you. I will provide for you, right? He will, he will bring you into Zion. And then just a few chapters later, it goes, it goes into chapter five. We, we see in verses 20 through 31, the reasons why they don't hear this. Oh, foolish mm-hmm. and senseless people who have eyes, but see not who have ears, but hear not. The people were stubborn and rebellious and faithless. And I think that these are ways that if we help them see this in scripture of the narrative, right, of what's happening in Judah, what's happening with Jeremiah and how Jeremiah is 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 telling them this is what the Lord is declaring. And this is where you are. This is this is what is going on in your hearts. And maybe just encourage your counselees to just to really think through that. Like, where are you? what are you not seeing? What are you not hearing? You know, what, where are you rebelling? Where are you stubborn? Where are you walking in faithlessness? Which is obviously is going back to where are you going to other sources of fulfillment? Where are you, you know, drinking muddy water when the Lord is right here saying, you know, I'm, I'm here and I, I am the fountain of living water, like stop forsaking me. And so I just think, you know, obviously this is just a, just a great book of the Bible to where we can 
bring them back to these texts where it's not like, oh, I'm just Shauna telling them this, right? Or I'm defining it my own, Mm -hmm. but literally giving them the picture of what was happening at this time, why this scripture verse and, you know, of, of idolatry and, and the two sins that were being committed were so important and what really ends up happening with them. And so obviously praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he saves us all. And so obviously it's a great time to either share the gospel with them or remind them of the gospel. And so I, I think that's very important, Jesse, that you said, get where, where is their spiritual maturity? What do they know even prior to, you know, going them to a text like this? Because then you can kind of bring it back around. Um, Michael, do you have any mm-hmm. additional input on that? No, I think I think Jesse and, and your uh, statements there were were helpful, and uh, I, th- I think that really just kind of comes down to, again, like Jesse was saying, with all the supplemental text that he provided mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. just helping them see the reality of our propensity to uh, run to broken cisterns, even as believers, and uh, just continually draw them back to Christ and uh, just the fruit and benefit of that. And uh, so, yeah. That- yeah, so all this is obviously not something that's just going to be able to happen in our counseling space. So, J- uh, Jesse, what are some of the things that you uh, give them for after-session assignment? Do you want to share a couple of ideas with us on how can we help stir this in their hearts as they leave us, like in their day-to-day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one of the things, you know, as the counseling progresses, uh, you know, we've, I've already gotten to know them, probably know some of the, I mean, I know all of them, but, but maybe know at least one or two big broken cisterns that they've turned to kind of in their life historically. And so one of the things I want to do after the session is get them to really focus and be aware of that throughout like this next week. So after we have finished this session, I want them to journal about ways like during this present week when you are tempted and you, you know it now, now you've got language to put to it and visuals to go with it. When you're tempted to forsake the Lord and go to these broken cisterns, let's, let's write that down. And then next week, we're going to be able to talk about that. We're going to, we're going to probably be able to look at, you know, what, what's going on in your, uh, in your thinking and your desires, how, you know, what, what got you to that moment in your day where you were tempted to forsake the Lord and to, to kind of go your own way. And so to journal that throughout the week, cause it, you know, it's going to still happen. It still happens to me. Um, there are times in my life where I'm tempted to just do my own thing uh, and to go my own way. And so let's, let's bring those into the light. Let's discuss them together. Um, and then bring like what we've learned outside of the counseling room. I usually, you know, tell my counselees, this, this, our time together is not a magic hour uh, that's going to like fix your life. Um, this is about walking with God everywhere that you go, not just in this, you know, in this meeting space. And so I think that's one way I want to help them kind of get the word into the rest of their life. And then uh, another thing I'll do is in the session, we may only look at a few of those verses in Colossians 3, but I think all of really maybe the whole letter uh, to Colossae, but uh, particularly I think chapter three, because that can give them the hope that that in Christ you can change. Um, you, with the word of God, with the spirit of God, you can you can do what Paul says there, put to death what is earthly within you, right? You can do it. Uh, Paul in, uh, is, it is it Romans 8, um, 
you know, the flesh and the spirit. And he says, you are not in the flesh if the spirit of God dwells in you. So you, like you can put to death what is fleshly uh, because the spirit of God dwells in you. And then related to that, you know, as I study Colossians 3, what are some things that you can put on then? Because he goes there, Paul does. Uh, and so biblical counseling is not just about stopping things in your life, um, but also replacing what we stop with things that are going to be pleasing to God and beneficial, helpful uh, for other people um, so that they can glorify God as well, right? And so um, I, want, I want to help them begin thinking that way. That may be something, of course, in, the, in, a, in a latter session that we cover uh, because them abiding in Christ has to, right, I mean, the word abiding itself, it, it can't just be at certain times. If, if we're going to bear fruit, you know, John 15, the only way to do that is to abide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if abiding only happens in our magic hour, you're, you're just not going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not how, how abiding works. And then uh, kind of as, a, as another thing that I think really drives all this home, I mentioned um, a Piper sermon there. Uh, and so that, that sermon is titled The Ultimate Essence of Evil. And I just get people to listen to that. In fact, even in our, uh, in our equipped counsel training, I think it's like week six or something. Um, I have all of our counselors listen to that sermon, uh, and have gotten incredible feedback every year from our counselors on just how impactful it is for them. And so, yeah, one of the things won't give the whole sermon away because I think, I think all of our listeners could benefit from it too. But one of the things that Par- Piper argues there, um, is that the, I think he says the ultimate essence of evil is preferring anything to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way he the way he walks through that biblically is just so helpful. And then having my counselee, you know, who's trying to work through these things and who, you know, we're trying to um, apply the gospel and change and give hope. Um, I think his, I think Piper's definition and, and unpacking of the word in that sermon is just really helpful mm-hmm. um, for help, helping people to see that not just all the evil out there but also the evil that exists in me has its roots, and you've said this already today, Shauna, has its roots in my desires, has its roots in my has its roots in my thinking. Mm-hmm. And at the base of that, you know, I think Piper's argument is convincing, is this this temptation to prefer anything else to God. Uh, and his again, just his passion in that sermon there is is really helpful. And so I'll get them I'll get a counselee to to listen to that and take notes and then We'll discuss it in our next session. That's so good. I mean, you're speaking my love language when you bring John Piper into the conversation. You know, he's my <laughs> spiritual grandfather from a distance. I have yet to got, get my dinner invite at Thanksgiving, but I think it's going to come at some point. You know, I'm such a Piper fan. And the fact that anyone doesn't like yeah. to listen to his preaching blows my mind. I'm like, nope, I'll be out front. He can totally spit as he's just passionately mm-hmm. preaching God's word. I just love it so much. And so uh, thank you for mm-hmm. just referencing that and giving us that as a tool that we can listen to just as biblical counselors and pastors growing, but um, that obviously is a good, anytime we have a good homework resource, right. For them to listen and, and to think through it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the important things that I, I just kind of felt like I wanted to uh, mention here is, you know, there's a lot of, and even in this book and just, we always think journaling, right. As something 
um, to give as biblical counselors. And, and I just recently had, you know, a lady go, well, I'm just not much of a journaler. I don't really do that. And, and I get it right. There's people who absolutely love it. And that's just a way for them to kind of funnel their thoughts and, and thinking and, or their feelings. And then there's some who just, that just don't do that. But one of the things that as you were talking that I think, especially for this area, that's really helpful is how many times have you had someone come in your counseling room and they can't recall what's happened in the last week, right? Because there's so many things going on within mm-hmm. just one day that journaling doesn't have to be this huge paragraphs, right? Of like old school journaling, mm-hmm. you're thinking like you're just filling these pages. It could be simple like bullet points of things or situations that's happened, or you can even make a chart of saying, here's the situation in a little, just one liner of what happened. And then just kind of journaling the thoughts. Here's the object of my desire. You know, here's where I went for my source of fulfillment and just make it very simple for them too. Because sometimes I would rather simplify the journaling process than just if someone says, I'm not much of a journal or writer, letting them to not do it because it really is important in those points of decision throughout the day to really be intentional and logging the areas that we obviously get convicted or identify as situations that we've gotten to a point where it's like, are you willing to sin to get it? And are you willing to sin if you don't get it? Those were two really good questions that you gave us that, that those two questions need to be written down and they think through when the situations or the events happen. Um, And then allowing that to just, catapult the next session because then they don't have to sit there and be like, ah, you know, I can't really remember what happened. They can actually just come with these bullet point type thoughts and answers and then just allowing us to go deeper. So just one of those things that now, obviously, if you have the opposite of someone who's like a mega journaler, you might have to have them give you a short summary, right? In the counseling session, or that could just take your whole hour. Um, So maybe the opposite, but I just didn't want, you know, anyone that was listening to breeze over that journaling thing, because I think there's just so many different ways to think through what that assignment could look like. But for idolatry, I just think it's incredibly important to really be intentional, really ask your counselees to be intentional throughout the day and the week um, for them to really kind of, you know, hone in and and think through that and be very, very intentional in identifying those desires. Um, Well, Jesse, this was, uh, was terrific. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Georgia and uh, recording this podcast Mm -hmm. with us. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's been an, Delightful. <laughs> um, we have. Uh, yes, obvi- I enjoyed it too. Yes, if you if you have if you don't currently have this book, you can go to christiancounseling.com and buy that uh, in the store. We also, if you're an ABC member, just know on the back end page if you click the link called Counseling Through Scriptures, uh, we have some of these actually already in PDF format that you can just print and use out in the counseling room. Jesse, thank you, and please extend our, our gratitude to everyone at your church and um, and just all that you guys are doing and not only equipping biblical counselors, but just the soul care that you're providing. We are so thankful for your partnership, and thank you again for, for being on Speak the Truth. 